I'm done. Were you tired or were, or was it? Yeah, I was tired. I was tired of, I don't want to say trying because. No, because I mean, you were in liberal church. You didn't have to try in liberal church. I was tired of the act. Of what act? Because I had come to realize that a liberal church, you're just as much of an actor as you are in a legalism. How so? In a a liberal church, you're acting like you're this great person who has this relationship with God. But at the end of the day, you you don't really have a relationship with God. Why? Because you're not changing. Change is hard for everyone, and becoming a better version of yourself can seem impossible. Life tends to leave you broken and scarred and with no sense of ever being made whole. But what if there was a way you could be transformed? Hello, my name is Marco Alonso. Join me as we discover the transformative power of the gospel in real life experiences, and as we ask ourselves, what if I knew him? So Josh, for how long have you been baptized? So it depends. Are you talking about the first time or the second time? Let, let's go with the first time. So the first time was about six years ago. Okay. All right. Sex, uh, second time? Second time was, I want to say like three. Three years? Two. Yeah, yeah. So first one didn't stick? No, it didn't stick. The old man was definitely still alive. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so for the second time, it hopefully is dead. Hopefully. Well, but, you die daily, right? So. Yeah, you die daily. That's true. And I think that we have this stigma about rebaptism. Mm. you know? Maybe we should reconsider, you know, one of my favorite authors, she says that everyone should get rebaptized. I think it's, it's like renewing your vows. It's something yeah. very special. Especially like, especially if you grow in truth, right? Like yeah. When you're supposed to get rebaptized or if you have a failing and you want to recommit, yeah. then you should be getting rebaptized. Absolutely. You know, the other time I was reading in uh, USA Today, they, they, uh, they did a poll and they found out that about three quarters of you know faith in general the young people will leave by the time they get like around 18 or 19 and the question is why is it that you know the young people are leaving you know before we get into all of that i think it's important to start on a positive note right sure so just this last sunday that passed i was at a baptism for eight young people really yeah the oldest person there was i believe 19 or 20 how about the youngest one i want to say like 15 14 oh wow okay yeah so it was a good age range of people, but they were all young. Like they were all yeah. young people who decided they wanted to give their lives to the Lord. And that in of itself, when one person does it, is a miracle. But yeah. to think of eight people simultaneously deciding to give their lives to the Lord, that's incredible. Yeah. So um, you were how old when you were uh, when you were baptized the first time? I was 20. All right. Well, that's that's a very young age. And this kind of falls into the category, you know, of the poll that they did. I also was like 21 when I first got baptized. Um, but so what happened? Why was there a need for a second baptism? Well, that's a long story. Well, let's start with the beginning. <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up in what I would consider a legalistic church. Okay. And I think it's important to define legalism, right? So legalism is when we put the grace of Christ, you know, aside. We say, mm-hmm. I'm, I, we say what the Israelites say, you know, all these things I will do. Mm. You know, we live, we say we're going to live up to the law, but no man can do that on their own. Yeah. So we end up, you know, distraught. We end up doubting God. We end up leaving the church. And so for me, that was the case. I grew up in this environment and mm-hmm. I would say it's a toxic environment. Okay. Because you're told you have to do all these things. You know, you're not a good Christian. You can't approach God until you can do all these things. And, you know, recently someone asked me, um, they said, I don't understand legalistic people. They must know it's not good. They must know what they're doing is not good. And what I said to them was, I was like, but you have to understand this is the only way they think they can approach God. Yeah. They think they have to be good enough. They think they have to 
have everything in order. They have to be keeping every law exactly the way and they, they need to do it all on their own before they can even come to God and ask for help. So I would like to understand a little bit better. How was the church that you grew up in? How was the legalistic church? So it was basically like what you said. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you cannot approach God until you've done enough work, okay. until you're good enough to approach him. But if we really look at what that verse is saying, an all-consuming fire, and we look at those who have approached God the way the way that they are, right? You know, we can mm -hmm. look at Isaiah. You know, he comes to God and he, he says, woe is me. He sees God on his throne, yeah. consumed in fire. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. Yeah. You know, I've seen the almighty God and I'm a man of unclean lips and his sin is presented to him. It's yeah. clear as day, but he's not destroyed in that moment. You know, God does something amazing instead, right? And this is where we see the plan of salvation, the plan mm -hmm. of redemption. He takes a hot coal straight from the fire, straight from the presence of himself and touches it to Isaiah's lips. And he just says, a piece of the consuming fire, just not everything. Piece. Yeah, just a part of, you know, mm -hmm. and this is very symbolic. You know, yeah. this is a part of God and what, who comes to earth besides part of the Godhead yeah. himself. God himself comes to earth and wants to touch each of our hearts individually. Yeah. You know, every time that I read um, uh, John 3.16, you know, a very classic verse. And, you know, before I used to read it just very casually, like, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But when we really look at the meaning of this verse, mm -hmm. it says, for God so loved the, uh, the world that he came down. Yeah. He came down to you. He came down to the pig pen where well, you he, were. He came down to your level. Yeah. And this is what legalism gets wrong. You have to get up to God's level. Mm. You can't do that. You're going to fail. You're going to fall back down further than when you started. You're going to you're going to be worse off yeah. because you can never get to God's level. And that's why God came down to meet us where we are. But let like, me ask you, you're in legalistic church. Mm -hmm. Okay. How can you give me a can you paint for me a scenario? on how legalistic church looked from Sabbath to Sabbath. So just a practical day-to-day. -day. Okay, yes, yes. Oh, it'd be like, you know, little things like um, someone drinking water in the sanctuary, a visitor for the first time being okay. told, you can't do that in here. Now, okay. do you think that visitor ever came back? Uh, probably not. No, and it's also things like, you know, women being told their skirts are too short to come mm -hmm. into the sanctuary. And we're talking about visitors. Visitors, yeah. yeah. Um, and all these like little things that, mm -hmm. you know, you maybe you don't notice as a young child. Yeah. Or, you know, telling, now no, this one will get people, some people offended. <laughs> telling young kids, you can't run on the Sabbath. Oh, that's a big one. You know, you know that's that, and you hear that a lot. Yeah. And I would say that's legalism. Yeah. Point to me from the Bible where it says that a child cannot run on the Sabbath. I haven't found a verse yet. Right. And if anyone is listening can find a verse, send it to me. I would be more than happy to change my mind <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's biblical. But you can't. It's not there, you know. Yeah. Or these little things like, you know, like you don't take pictures on the Sabbath. Oh, mm -hmm. you can't do that. Why? Where does it say that? Well, I think many times one of the problems from uh, from a legalistic church is that you make up laws. You exactly. make up kind of commandments. We ha well, you don't have to look any further than, than the Gospels to see that because mm -hmm. of the Pharisees, they start adding all these rules, right? Mm -hmm. Rules that were never written by Moses, rules that were never written by God. And they're like, you have to do these. If you don't do them, you're a sinner. Yeah. And so it, legalism is when we start putting man-made traditions on the same level as God's holy divine law. And as like you said, when we go to the Gospels, these set of rules, of man-made rules, which were stacked upon, you know, God's law, kind of force people to live a certain way, yeah. to live a certain pattern. And um, and as we saw, as we see in the, in the Gospels, people got tired of it. They it, did. It, even Jesus said, 
these laws, this, these traditions are too hard for even you guys to follow. They were, exactly. And it made the Pharisees hypocrites, right? Yeah. And that's what legalism does to you. It makes you a hypocrite. You you, you have this good outfacing face mm-hmm. that, you know, you look like you're a Christian, but in the in the back of, of your house, in, yeah. in your in your home, in private, you do things that you never want people to know in public yeah. because a hypocrite is an actor, right? Yeah. When you boil it down to the Greek, that's what it means. And there are no bigger actors than a legalist. So a legalistic church full of beautiful actors. Yeah. I mean, they should win Emmys and Tonys <laughs> and all the awards for how, for how good of actors they are sometimes. So going back to the, your story, you're here, you're in legalistic church. This is what you see, you know, Sabbath to Sabbath, a group of people which try and make rules for people to come up to step up to so yeah. they can come close to and, god and that's before we go any further let's establish there's nothing wrong with the law of god okay you know god's law is holy it's just it's eternal yeah. and it's there for a reason the problem comes when we say what the israelites say all these things i will do mm-hmm. without taking christ into the equation and that's what happens in a in a legalistic church day to day yeah so i i found myself in this environment and you know i just realized i had never really cultivated a relationship with god okay i didn't know what that looked like and for me i just i, I couldn't be there anymore it was like everything finally hit me at once that this was mm-hmm. not what religion was supposed to be like. You know, I saw a lot of um, my friends from community college, they they were in this non-denominational church mm. and they would be what most of us would consider liberal. Okay. But they seemed like they were happy to be in the presence of God. Okay. So now you begin to transition from, uh, from conservative church, legalistic church to liberal church, right? Yeah. But before we go there, let me ask you, is there anything positive to be said about legalistic church? Well, that's a difficult one. You know, I don't want to give um, anything positive to it because, you know, darkness, you know, light mixed with darkness is still darkness, yeah. right? Um, so we have to be careful when we say, is there anything positive about mm-hmm. it? Uh, I would say that they, they definitely have an understanding of the law. Okay. And that's a good starting point, right? Right. And these are all good starting points. The problem comes when we mix in error with it. Mm. And we're going to get to that with the legal with the liberal church, too. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's a really interesting starting point, a good starting point. But when we mix in error, it all falls apart. Okay, so let's uh, let's table that and let's go to a liberal church. You begin to head to a liberal church. You see young people which are happy to be there. What do you feel? You know, uh, so I don't want to say this was everyone's experience. Okay. This was my experience. I think that we, sure. need to, we need to put that out front. But for me, I, you know, I went there and I felt free. Okay. I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I was no longer trying to keep God's law, right? Mm. I, I understood that that God's that God's grace and the death of Christ covered me. Yeah. And that now I would I was able to just cultivate a relationship with him and that would help me to grow closer to him, right? But the problem with a liberal church and there's a huge problem with it is that you're still an actor. Okay. You're just really? playing on a different play. But why is it a dif- uh, different act? You're free. And you're free. You're happy. And sometimes even people in a, in a liberal church won't even know they're acting. Mm-hmm. Right? Because what happens is you, you get to this point where you think you're good. You're fine. Okay. You go to one extreme to another. You know, that's the human tendency. We tend to overcorrect. Yeah. You know, God doesn't give up on anyone. But when we see people come into contact with Christ, there's one key phrase he always says. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Be changed. Yeah. Change, your, change your life. Follow me and you're not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So when you come to a liberal church and you see that no one's changing mm. you have to ask yourself are they really following christ or are they following a feeling mm, that, that's key right there yeah so so you're saying that there's actors in a legalistic church and there's actors in a in liberal church both places just a different show yeah. so what happens you continue in liberal church 
and so I, you, know, you come I, close to Christ? <laughs> I wish. I wish that was the answer. But no, I got baptized into this church. Okay. And for a while, it, it felt really great. You know, I was mm-hmm. studying to be a pastor. I was, you know, really feeling like I was growing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still doing all the same things I did before. Okay. You know, I just knew more. And this is this is the problem for me. Religion had, had always been about knowledge, mm-hmm. about knowing more than the person sitting next to me right? and being able to outsmart them. And I think as as Christians, that's kind of our thing, right? Yeah. You're in the right church if you believe the right things. Exactly. And, yeah. you, and you know, and I want to tell you how you're in the wrong church and how my church is right. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time we realize that we miss out on a great evangelistic opportunity by not meeting people where we agree. Mm. You know, because we agree on, on some things, you know, we agree on, you know, we agree that Christ died for our sins. Yeah. That's a great starting point to meet people at. But instead, we want to jump to the things that we disagree with. Yeah. And that's not how Christ did things. You know, he never he never attacked people. But you're here in liberal church. You realize you're not changing. And what do you decide to do? Yeah, at this point, I was already studying to be a pastor. I was about to head off to study at a college and I'm on the way to the college. And uh, my cousin and my uh, my brother are like, hey, you know, how are you going to relate to people if you never drank, if you never smoked, if you never done all these things? You know, you have to at least try it once. It's a pretty weak argument. but It's a horrible <laughs> argument. But, you know, in, in another fact about the human mind is that we want to give ourselves a way out. Sure. You know, we yeah. want to give ourselves uh, uh, the license to do whatever we want. So I was already slipping. Mm-hmm. My, my, religio- my religiosity, my act, it was mm-hmm. slipping already. And I said, you know what? Sure, you're right. You know, how am I going to relate to people? Why not just try it once? And of course, it's never just once, you know, yeah. with those kind of things, it, it turns into doing it all the time. And that's what happened with me. And I realized at that point how much of a hypocrite I was, that nothing had changed. I just went from being one kind of hypocrite to yeah. another where I could say all I could say all these beautiful things about the love of God and how yeah. you're covered by his grace. Yeah. But I was still I was still the same person underneath there. There had been no lasting change. And without that lasting change. It's meaningless. Okay. So just to recap here, legalistic church at least got God's law. Correct. And then you go to liberal church. And they understand God's love. Love. So they both have something good. It's like they have two parts of a puzzle, right? Yeah. And if only you would get those parts together just the right way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, have you ever seen there's like these YouTubers who are like their whole channels are like they do these little wood puzzles and you have to like oh, yeah, disassemble yeah. it and reassemble it just perfectly or it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. This is how I kind of think about the gospel now right okay because it's the law and it's it's faith and it's grace and it's all these things but they fit just perfectly they interlock just perfectly with each other and if one little theological cube is out of whack Mm. you're gonna start believing some really weird things but let me stop you right there um if you could choose between legalistic church and um and liberal church between law and grace are we talking about to try and get them to the right spot or just to be in okay so i if you had to choose one, which one would you choose? I mean, which one is more important? Let me put it that way. Uh, you, it's like asking which blade. C.S. Lewis says it's like asking which blade in a pair of scissors actually cuts, right? Okay. You know, the law and faith, and the works and, and faith, they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Paul says faith without works is dead. Is dead, yeah. So, you know, that's a kind of a question you can't really answer, right? Mm-hmm. They're both critical to being a Christian, to being a follower of Christ. Yeah. You can't just have one or the other. So, but if I was to pick a church to pastor, right? Yeah. I would pick the liberal church. Liberal church. Because it's easier to get someone to understand that the law matters once they understand the love of God than it is to get someone who's tied up in how much they have to live up to the law mm-hmm. to understand that God loves them. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And even in John, we see that it says, if you love me, 
conditional, right? Mm -hmm. If you love me, the natural result is you will obviously keep my commandments. commandments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And this is why legalistic church will always fail because it's all about the commandments without the love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why also liberal church will, will always fail because it's all about, about love, the love without the commandments, without the change, without, so, yes, without that, you know, transformation, because being a Christian is letting God work in your life to change you in ways you can never imagine. Yeah. And if that isn't happening in your life, then you're not a Christian. That sounds harsh to people. Yeah, it does. But, you know, um, I forget who says it, but there is this quote and it says, um, it, I like Christ. It's his, it's the Christians I have a problem with. Mm, that's right? deep, yeah. So this person says, I like what Christ represents, but the Christians, I'm not so sure about them. Yeah. And I think this is how we live when we present both. When we present a liberal front, we're not being Christ-like. When we present a legalistic front, we're not being Christ-like. It's Christ, God, you know, the eternal Godhead exists in the balance. Yeah. You know, the other time, you know, scrolling through Facebook, <laughs> I came across this interesting meme and I never seen it. And it went something like this. You had a Noah's Ark and it said, what saved Noah? Was it grace or was it obedience? Was it faith or was it obedience? What would you respond to that? Okay. So he could have had the faith that it was going to rain, right? Yeah. But without the obedience to build the Ark, he still would have drowned. Yeah. You know, so it's it's both, because if he didn't have the faith in God, he he would have freaked out when the people started running at the ark, when yeah. all the beasts and the angels and all these things started attacking the ark. And if he didn't have the faith, he would have just walked out of the ark. Yeah, he would have surrendered when they told him, "Come out, you're a crazy man." He wouldn't have preached for a hundred years if he didn't have the faith. Yeah. So when we ask questions like this, we're being very theologically small-minded. Yeah. Because absolutely. God is big enough for both these things to coexist perfectly. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't have the faith in the first place, the ark would never have happened. Exactly. Yeah. So you're here at Liberal Church, and you decide that now you're going to try some of these things. You're going to try, I don't know what. Smoking, smoking drinking, drinking, partying. Yeah. Uh, and this is, you know, supposedly to see what it feels like, mm-hmm. you know, to have a better experience. to people. Yeah. yeah. So you go down that path, and how far do you go? I end up leaving the church. Okay. What yeah. about being a pastor at the university? I end up leaving it all. I mean, you know, Satan had put this thought in my head. He kind of snuck back in some of those legalistic thoughts. And he said, you know, well, you've gone too far now. You know, that, that always gets me because whenever you make a sin, it seems that this is the most natural. And I hear it across every single person mm-hmm. I've ever spoken to about sin. And, you know, uh, being in the ministry, you get people that are heavy. They're tired. Because every time that they sin, they feel that they're not good enough to come to Christ. And as a result, they decide to stay in their sin because they yeah. think their sin is too great. And this is the thing. We, we don't realize that the king of Israel goes to God after he's just committed, after he's just slept with another man's wife, yeah. had the man killed, and, you know, pointed to himself and said, you know, he has to die. Yeah. If the king of Israel, after committing all these sins and condemning himself, can go to God and beg for mercy... I don't honestly think I've ever done anything that equates to, you know, sleeping with another man's wife and then murdering him. Yeah. I, so if, if he can go to God and beg for mercy, then I can go to God and beg for mercy. Absolutely. And if God can give him that mercy, then God is more than willing to give me that mercy, yeah. right? Because we forget that the God that exists is not this tyrant. He's not this bully that just wants to see you burn. He's this loving God who wants to do everything to cultivate a relationship with you, yeah. who gave everything to make that relationship possible. And when Satan puts these thoughts in our mind, that, you know, I, I'm too far gone mm-hmm. to turn back to God. You might as well just enjoy it. You might as well just enjoy your life. We have to remember that that God is right there waiting, just waiting for us to turn back, yeah. no matter how far we think we've gone. Yeah. So you're at this point of your life, you're, you've gone very deep. Mm-hmm. And uh, does at any point God try to bring you back, try and call you? 
uh, people who know me well will know that I always quote C.S. Lewis. So I'll do it again for a second time. In here. Yeah, we all know your nickname is C.S. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have me saved in uh, your phone as C.S. Lewis says, right? I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so C.S. Lewis says okay. uh, that um, God whispers to us in our comforts, mm-hmm. speaks to us in our discomforts, and shouts at us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a death world. Mm. So, yes, God, to answer your question more directly, yes, God tried to wake me up multiple times. When was he whispering, by the way? You know, I think he whispers when, you know, things are going well. Okay. Because it's not that he is necessarily whispering. He's just not trying to shake us as strongly, mm. right? Um, you know, you're you're in the church. You know, he's just saying, just stay on the path. Just stay on the path. You're, you're, you're here. You're here. Just, just keep walking with me. Yeah. It's not loud, right? Mm. It's not shocking. It's not like, what are you doing? It's nothing like, it's just... Mm-hmm. Just keep going. You're fine. Like, but uh, do you think that at any time you, you drown this whisper oh, by doing other things? Of course. I think that, you know, even I was reading a book recently and you can even drown the whisper by being active in the church. Really? Oh, I think so. Okay. How so? Let's see. You know, because let's say that you're having trouble at home and you're mm-hmm. not being the parent you need to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not being the husband or the wife you need to be. Instead, you just throw yourself into ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to do this for this person. I'm going to do this for this person. I'm going to help the church with this. I'm going to put on this. You play forget about your house. Yeah, and you forget about your home, right? Yeah. But God is t- t- telling you, hey, what about your home? What about you can drown out the Holy Spirit by doing things that seem right and good. Mm. You know, and we don't think you can, but of course you can. You know, you're trying to keep yourself busy. Yeah. Because you can keep yourself busy so that to the point where you can't even let God into your brain. Mm. You're too busy, you're, you have too much going on, and that voice is just it seems Drown. silent. Yeah. Um anyway, back on point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back on point. So, how did God whisper? Oh, well, you know, when I, when I was going to this school um, and I would go to visit because I went a few times before I started classes, I never felt so at peace. Mm. You know, I felt like that's where the Lord wanted me to be and that that's where he had called me to be. And if I stay there, you know, things will work out well okay. to his honor and glory. That's what when I was there, that's what I felt. And as soon as I left there, you know, the devil tried to take that feeling away. He tried to attack me. So I would say those moments on that campus. You know, they have this prayer garden there. And I remember sitting there and praying these really earnest prayers. Those moments were when God was whispering. whispering. So you, power, the whisper is still powerful, right? Yeah. Because Elijah hears the whisper and it's more powerful than the thunder and all of these things because it's God whispering. Yeah. It's not just anyone whispering, it's God. And so to get to the shout and the, you know, speaking, when I started making all these wrong choices, little things started to go wrong, right? Just little things. And okay. They're so little and minor that I barely remember them. But in the moment, they seemed huge, right? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, hey, you're going the wrong way. Back up, go back. You're going the wrong way. What are you doing? Um, and so I kept going down this path. And almost a year passes of me living this life. You know, I'm not going to church. Instead, you know, uh, I go inside of a tent in my backyard. And, you know, we smoke weed, we drink, we do all these things. And... I end up uh, getting arrested. Okay. Yeah, and I'm looking um, for drugs and all this stuff and some and just craziness, you know, just being stupid, just being plain stupid. Mm -hmm. And this is God. This is God shouting now, right? This is God getting louder. Like, hey, you're gonna ruin your life. What are you doing, right? So, and so in this moment when all this is going on, when I'm waiting for my court date, you know, I start watching sermons with my mom. I start praying. I start trying to, you know, get closer to the Lord. But it's all out of like this sense of dread and fear. Mm. And the court date comes. The arresting police officer doesn't show up. My lawyer looks at me and says, oh, that's good. That's good. Mm. Uh, And the judge just gives me a slap on the wrist. Now, I was looking at some serious time by federal law back then. Now, the laws have changed now. But I was looking at some serious time for drugs. How much? Uh, a minimum of five years. Minimum of five years. What about the max? Forty. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. 
So it, it was no joke. This was serious yeah. stuff. This was life-altering consequences. Yeah. And the judge just gives me a year unsupervised probation. I don't even have to go in to meet with a probation officer. I don't have to do anything. Community service? No, no community service. Really? Two nights in jail. Okay. And um, just a year of unsupervised probation. Wow. Yeah. So did you take this as, wow, God, deliver me from my mistake? <laughs> oh, I should have. I should have. And, you know, maybe a more logical person and a better frame of mind would have. Okay. But I said, wow, I got lucky. I just have to be more careful with what I do now. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, this is how, like, and this is how twisted sin makes you, right? Like, yeah. you can't even notice the blessings of God when they come into your life. Yeah, you just take it as pure chance. You or... just take it as pure chance, yeah. And now I realize there's no such thing as pure chance. You know, there's either, you know, there's either, either one side working. One side is always pulling you in one direction, right? Either it's the Lord or it's the enemy. And they're working things out. So you go one way or the other way. Yeah. And for me, this was like, this is the best news I could have gotten. So, you know, I stopped praying. I stopped listening to sermons. You know, I stopped even letting my mom talk to me about the Bible, and I move out. Okay. I move out of my parents' home. Uh, and this was a big deal for me. And I, I moved out. I went and I lived with what I would consider like a frat house, but none of us okay. were in college, right? Okay. And we would party. We would drink. We would do all this crazy stuff. But there was one thing I wouldn't do. What was that? I wouldn't work on the Sabbath, and I wouldn't go out on the Sabbath. Hmm. Okay. So you wouldn't work on the Sabbath. How was your diet? I was still a vegetarian. I mean, even like if, even if I was to become a full atheist, there's just something disgusting about eating meat. I'm sorry to anyone who's listening to this that eats meat, but it's just gross. I'm but, sorry. But you, but you have been you grew up not yeah. eating meat. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. All right. Of course. Um, so you know, I'm just living this life of pure sin. Like mm -hmm. there's no space for God in my life. And one night, it's a Friday night, you know, I don't go out, I don't go out and I just stay at home and I, you know, I still do whatever I'm doing at home, but I don't, I don't go out and I don't work. Mm -hmm. I had agreed to work the next day, Saturday. Wow. That's for the very first time. For the very first time. <laughs> Let me stop you right there because up until this point, uh, going a little bit back to legalism, it seems that you're still legalistic in a way because you're li living, you know, a life of apparent freedom, but mm -hmm. you still believe that by keeping the Sabbath and not working on the Sabbath, There's somehow that's it's good. okay. Yeah. Well, it's almost like a superstition. Right, you know, I'm yeah. guarding the borders of the Sabbath in my own way because I'm worried about God. What God will do if I don't? The Lord used this to like really bring me back. Mm -hmm. and what happened was I had agreed to work, and I had a friend who was visiting from out of town, and he says, "Hey, let's go out tonight. Mm -hmm. you know, let's go out. Let's go clubbing." We're was that Friday or Saturday? That was Saturday. Friday night. Okay. Friday night. I work at seven in the morning. No, nine in the morning. And he says, mm -hmm. "Let's go out tonight." You know, I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I work tomorrow. I can't." He's like, "Come on, I'll have you home by no later than two, and you can go to work at nine. You'll be fine." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "You know what?" Uh, I don't really don't think I should. This the voice, mm -hmm. and the voice is like, "Don't go." Still whispering do, there. Still whispering. Talking. Do not go. You will regret this. Do not go. And so he keeps trying to convince me, trying to convince me, and finally I'm like, "You know what? Fine, let's go." And so we go, and we're you know we're doing what everyone does when they party. We're drinking, and next thing I know, I wake up in a hospital bed in D.C. with no idea how I got there. Hmm. And now this is the point of, of like nothingness for me, right? Because mm -hmm. when I when I blacked out in between that space, I, I truly and honestly imagine this is what death feels like. Because I had blacked out before, mm -hmm. um, you know, drinking, and there was always like these sporadic moments of mm -hmm. being back in consciousness. This was nothing. How does nothing feel? Oh, it's terrifying. You literally, I mean, it felt like I didn't exist. And like when I woke up, it felt like I was coming back to life. Wow. Like literally I felt like like I was breathing like like harshly and it was like I was struggling to draw breath again for the first time. Mm. And as I'm like trying to like just catch myself, trying to figure out where I am, what's going on, how did I get here? I hear a voice. 
and it says, what are you doing here? Now, for those of you who know your scripture, you know, this is pretty much an exact quote. Yeah. This is what God says to the prophet Elijah when he's hiding in the cave. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Who sent you here? And not only with Elijah, we see this in the the beginning of Genesis. Mm -hmm. Where are you? Where are you? How did you get here? Right. And God always asks these questions. They're really interesting questions because God knows the answer on the surface level. He knows the answer deep in your subconscious. He knows what's going on with you, but he wants you to figure out. How did you get into the spiritual condition? What brought you to where you are right now? He's not asking Adam, where are you physically, Adam? Mm-hmm. He's saying, Adam, what is your spiritual condition right now? How would a legalistic God say, what would a legalistic God say in the condition that you were, that you found yourself oh, in? Oh, you're doomed. You're going to hell. You're going to burn forever. <laughs> Bye-bye. Big difference. Yeah. And the thing is that this God, the God who spoke to me in that moment, the one and only true God, he says, what are you doing here? Get up and live your life the way you know you ought to live it. And so I got out of the hospital bed, I took out my own IV, and you know, I just walked out. And you know, I'm studying healthcare administration, and I'll tell you right now, you don't let anyone just walk out. You need to make sure they filled their paperwork out, you need to make sure they were discharged, you need to make sure the doctor is done with them. No one just walks out of anywhere. I walk out right by the front desk. Uninterrupted. Uninterrupted. You know, and it reminded me, and now it reminds me in retrospect of when the the angel guides Peter out of the prison, right? Not that dramatic, but still, you know, I know I stop people from leaving the clinic when they, before they've been told to leave or before they filled out their paperwork. So, you know, we, it's important to understand that even in these small things, there are miracles working, right? Yeah. And so I get into the Uber. And I told the Uber what happened. The Uber driver says, well, you got some really good friends there. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm trying to like figure out what I'm going to do now. Yeah. So I go home and, you know, I want to backtrack a little bit mm-hmm. because we need to establish why it was hard for me to make a relationship with God. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it all boils down to, for a lot of us, how we interact with our parents. Mm-hmm. And for me at this point, you know, I had a horrible relationship with my father for years. He was abusive. He was horrible to me my mother my siblings he just was not a good guy and he suffered from mental illness right Mm -hmm. and when you have someone like that as your father you know uh, we know that the way you your father shapes the way you view god yeah so when you have a father who's inconsistent who's distant who's never there who's abusive who's a tyrant how are you going to view god I mean, you're going to attribute all those attributes to him, right? So now this is my picture of God. This has been my picture of God for years. Since the holistic church. Since I was a boy, probably since I started understanding who God was. And then, you know, it gets reinforced when these stories are told, like the stories of the Canaanites and, Mm -hmm. you know, Jericho, when they're not given the proper explanation, that idea of God gets reinforced. Yeah. This distant, tyrannical God who just wants to destroy. You know, if you don't love him. He's going to destroy you. Yeah. And we see this even in Genesis, you know, when um, when Satan begins to distort the image of God to uh, to Adam and Eve. What is one of the first thing that the Satan tells Eve? Has God said? Mm-hmm. And by the way, that uh, that negative command that he has given to you, do not eat of the fruit. He really doesn't want you to have be, wisdom. He doesn't want you to be on his level. So then, you know, Satan distorts a reality. And the reality is we, that God has indeed told her not to eat of the fruit. But God never said, if you eat of the fruit, I will kill you. God says, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die. Totally different. Completely different. And this is the thing. Satan has always been trying to twist the view, the way we view God. Yeah. 
So what does he do nowadays? He or since the beginning, he attacks the family structure. Yeah. You know, because those are representatives for God on earth. You know, we can't see God. We can see our parents. Mm -hmm. So we put a lot of those attributes to the one we cannot see. And for me, this was a struggle to get over. This was a real struggle, even in that moment of, you know, waking up in that hospital bed, hearing that voice. Mm. Somewhere in the back of my subconscious, this is how I still viewed God. Did you ever felt loved by your father? There were times. And there were times I felt like God was looking out for me. Mm -hmm. But again, that it's not consistent, right? Mm. So God is loving one moment and then he wants to destroy you the next. Mm. And again, when, when the Bible is told out of context and when it's told out of order, it reinforces these concepts. Yeah. You know, oh, one moment he loves the Israelites. Next, he's telling Moses, let me destroy them and make a new people. Yeah. When we don't really get into the nuance of what's being said, we misattribute a lot of what God is saying, a lot of what God is doing, right? So you're here in the hospital, you're here the voice, you're reflecting as you're going back uh, in the Uber. And what are the images that begin to come to your mind? You know, what could I have been? What could I have done with my life if I hadn't made these, made these poor choices, right? What could I have, what, how my life would have been different if I had just gone to that school? If that one night when they said, oh, just try it for the first time. You would have said no. Yeah. And life is made up of small choices like that. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, again, he says, you know, day to day, nothing seems like it changes, but at the same time, nothing stays the same. Mm. And these are all those small choices. Day to day, you think you're living the same life. But if you look back in a month, a year, two years, it's completely different. Yeah. You're not even the same person. And that's the, like the paradox of being a human being. Right? Like we stay the same person our whole life, but in reality, we're not. Yeah. We constantly change. We constantly evolve. And it's either for the better or for the worse. What do you begin to talk to God now? Because did you pray or what do you do? So I go home. And, I, and, you know, the first thing I do, because it's getting close to nine at this point, I'm supposed okay. to go to work, right? Oh, that's right. That's right. And so I call my job and, you know, one of the assistant managers picks up um, and he and I were pretty good friends. And he said, and he was like, oh, hey, Josh, you know, how's it going? Like, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to come in today. He goes, yeah, that's right. I saw you on the schedule. I was wondering why you're on there. You don't work on Saturdays, right? That's what he Sabbath. knew. Yeah, he knew. He knew. And, you know, th that hit me hard. You know, this guy's calling me out. He's questioning, you know, what I believe. Like, why are you on the schedule? You know, you, you don't work on Saturdays. So, um, you know, at that moment, like, yeah, you're right. I don't, like, I don't, okay, you know, I, I guess you can just take me off. I'm not coming in today. Because that's fine. Don't worry about it. So I didn't go to work. And I sit there on my bed and I start crying. And at this point, you know, I'm just, I'm just fighting with God. I'm, I'm arguing with him in my mind. I'm yelling at him in my mind. And, you know, I'm just, I'm wondering, I can't picture you as this God that everyone describes you as. I just, I don't get it. I, but if you are who you say you are, if you're a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of justice and all these things that you claim to be, where were you when I was crying, broken, abused, when the people who should have been protecting me were hurting me? He said in the same voice, the same voice I heard says, I was right there crying with you. And that moment, there's nothing that can hold back my tears. I start mm. bawling hysterically to the point where, you know, one of my roommates wonders, well, you know, what, what's wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> and this is what you, when you come into contact with God, really, like it's this emotional process. It really, it really does impact you, right? You know, one of the things that strikes me is that it wasn't a, it's not an elaborate speech. It's not, um, uh, how can we put it, philosophical ideas that God no, speaks simple. to us. It's simple and straight to the point. Yeah, it's like, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you and I care about you and I want what's in your best interest, right? This is everything he's saying to me in these mm -hmm. moments. And this is what he says to everyone. I want to do what's best for you. I want to cultivate a relationship with you. I want to be like a hen who gathers up her chicks, but you would not, right? That's what mm -hmm. he says. And in this moment, 
I kind of get my first glimpse of who God is. He's the loving father I never had. And that's, that's, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. You know, because there are these songs. There's one song that says uh, God is a good, good father. Mm-hmm. But how can you tell someone that? How can you have someone sing that song when they have no reference point? Yeah. When they don't know what a good, good father is. Did you, when you, when you used to sing this song, did it ever, did you ever resent it? You know, it, it just, it was just like, okay, sure. These are nice words, mm-hmm. but what, there, there was no meaning behind it. There was, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it stirs up that like, you know, sense of emotion that all like, good quote-unquote worship music does like you feel something but there's nothing really there yeah a lot of the time so it was intense to get this first clear picture of god and he kept revealing himself like this to me you know uh, as as the days progressed he kept revealing more and more of who he was like i would read the bible and it was all about love and tenderness and compassion and how he looked to israel as his child as his bride as his you know daughter all these words of affection right never Never in my life have I had I really thought about what God is saying here. So at this point, you're reading the Bible, and now you're living the law, right? Do you begin to finally get this balance of you know, what is grace and what is to keep God's law? It starts to form there, right? Like okay. it starts to form that that they're that they're both integral. Mm-hmm. You know, I read I read the verse that says, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Mm-hmm. You know, and I read. I read God's law again, and it's, it sticks out to me now from a point of where these are all laws of love, right? And when you go past God's law, when you when you ignore that safeguard, you might think you're having the time of your life mm. until so, that ground smacks you in the face. <laughs> so you're praying with the Lord, you're wrestling with God, asking some of the most tough questions that probably before you didn't even dare to ask. Does God lead you to any specific verses in the Bible? There's one. Um, I don't remember the reference. I'm horrible with reference. <laughs> it's in Isaiah, you know, and it says, "In their afflictions, mm. he was afflicted." Wow. Speaking of, about the, the Israelites, children of Israel, but yeah. this the Bible is you know multifaceted because God doesn't change. So if he was afflicted in their afflictions, then he's afflicted in my afflictions. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, then in Hebrews it says we have a high priest who is not unfamiliar with our infirmities. He knows. He knows. You know, um, God became a man because it was the only way to save us, right? How, yeah. Because how can someone tell you how to be a better person if they've never experienced what you've gone through? Yeah. If they never lived a day in your shoes? So God decided that he was going to live a day in, in the life, in the shoes of Marco, in the shoes of Joshua, in the shoes of whoever is listening. Because how can someone give you advice unless they've lived it, unless they've experienced it and overcome it? Yeah. And what does he say? Fear not, I have overcome the world. And we'll be right back after this short break. Have you ever thought of what the Bible is? The scriptures are an interwoven narrative of personal stories and struggles, each meant to reflect how much God loves you and the lengths will go to win your heart. Join us on When the Bible Wasn't There as we explore the epic love story between us and God, available wherever you listen to podcasts. So right now you're still in the frat house, like you call it. You're studying the Bible, you're praying. But at the same time, God has certain places in which the seed of faith will grow even better. Yeah. Don't you feel that you have to move out? I was about to get to that. Yeah, I have, I have this desire in my heart. Like, I, I have to get out of here. Okay. I'm not going to be able to do what I have to do here. I'm not going to be able to cultivate a relationship with God because there are too many distractions here. There's mm-hmm. too much going on. It's too loud, right? Okay. And that's in the sense of it actually was very loud. That's where I got into the habit of having to listen to something when I fall asleep. No, but kidding. Yeah. 
but in the sense that also it's spiritually loud, right? There's a yeah. lot of warfare going on there. In, the, in, in Even in the lives of the people that live there, mm-hmm. right? There's warfare going on in their lives, just like there is in everyone's. But I come to the point where I realize I have to move out. Okay. And I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And so I start thinking about it. But, you know, a week goes by and I don't drink with them. I don't smoke mm-hmm. with them. I stay in my room on the Sabbath. And, you know, I start thinking, hmm, maybe I could do it here. Maybe I could, you know, the rent is cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right by my job. It's a good place to live. And the Lord does something kind of funny because, you know, God is also God has a sense of humor. Any guy who invents the platypus is a funny guy. <laughs> right? It is, it is. So, you know, he, he he gets one of my roommates to come to me with this idea. And he, my roommate says to me, he says, hey, so-and-so's brother wants to move in and you're not on the lease. So you're going to have to move out in six months. Okay. You know, God is still trying to give me some wiggle room, right? God never forces anyone. But he's saying, yeah. it's going to be time to go soon. Yeah. So in response, I say... That's fine. I'll move out in two weeks. So you finally begin to listen to some of the whispers right here. Yeah. That was a whisper, right? Because that wasn't a shout. That was six months. That was far away. Maybe it was him speaking. Yeah. But it wasn't definitely wasn't a shout. And I said, no, I'll move out in two weeks. So in response, I say, no, God, I'm going to move out now because I need to follow you. I need to cultivate a relationship with you. And you're right. That's not going to happen here. So I, you know, I, I do one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, right? I go okay. back to my mom and I say, I have a prodigal son moment with her. I say, hey, I need to come back. I need to live with you again. I need to cultivate a relationship with God and I can't do it where I am. But how old were you, were you at this point? Oh, that's a good question. I guess 23, 24. No, I mean, at 23, 24, it's a little embarrassing coming back to your parents' house and says, hey, I need a place. Yeah. And also it's embarrassing because, you know, you've just left one church and said you found the church. And then mm. all this, all these things, that, you know, you've been arrested. You've done all these horrible things. You know, just like the prodigal son, I had no right to ask that question. Mm. And my mother had every right to say no, to say no, just like the father in that story. But just like the father in the story and just like God does my mother very prayerfully I'm sure mm-hmm. comes to the decision to invite me back into the home and you know this is a big moment for me mm-hmm. because it reinforces the concept that God is the father in that story mm-hmm. but a father who does not you know beat his child for doing the wrong thing who does not shout at his child when you know the child makes a horrible mistake and comes back to him begging for forgiveness a father who's there when he's needed mm-hmm. right and then the son comes back to him and he, you know, the son is all of us. We've all gone and we've, you know, we've slept in, in the pigs, uh, been, uh, we've all eaten their food. We've all done all these horrible things, you know, to our own degree. Yeah. Right? But sin is sin in the eyes of God. Yeah. And we've all done it, you know, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God is what it says in the Bible. And yet the father says, give him a ring. Give him authority in the house again, right? Because if we look at the ancient culture, give him authority in the house again. Clothe him in the most beautiful robe. Put sandals on his feet. Give him something to stand on, a firm foundation, right? And kill the fattest calf. You know, we're going to celebrate because my son was dead and now he's alive. And this is the joy that's in heaven when, when the one sinner repents, right? When one person comes back to God, this is what happens. This is how much of a loving, good, good father he is, right? Mm. And then, then now this concept keeps building in my mind. So now this song begins to make some sense, finally. Now I can sing it with joy and praise, right? Yeah. Genuine joy and praise because I understand that that's who my father is. Mm. So some time passes. And, you know, I, I would like to say that I didn't slip. But addiction is is hard. Yeah. And even when, even when you're doing all the right things, yeah. you know, you still have to have some sort of faith. You know, you can be legalistic in overcoming your addiction. You know, I don't really think you can do it all on your own. You need you need a support system. Yeah. You need you need God for sure. And you need to have the faith 
that you can see that God is going to help you overcome this. So I slipped a few times and, you know, it, it was a hard struggle. But, you know, I, I pray every day that the Lord will never let me slip back mm-hmm. into that again. And so time passes and I'm still battling this addiction. I'm still battling to figure out who I am. I know who God is now. Right. But I'm trying to figure out what that means for me. What, what do I have to do in relation to who God is? Right. Mm. And this pastor, a lot of us who, are, who, who grew up in the church and probably a lot of people who are listening to this know him. Um, Peter Lausvik, mm-hmm. he, he comes to me at, at a church event and he says, to meet another young man and he says you know you guys have to make a decision mm. you know god is never going to remove every doubt in your life because you need to overcome you need to have faith to overcome those doubts you need to make a decision in your life and then he goes and he preaches and my mom actually got rebaptized that day and after that baptism he says you know i want to make a call you know i spoke to some young people that i want to make a call to the altar and you know they know who they are and they know mm. they need to come up and you knew who you were. And I knew who I was. <laughs> and deep down inside, I knew I needed to go up. And so I'm sitting there and he's he's calling and time starts to slow down. I've only experienced this maybe once or twice uh, in my life where time literally slows down. Right. And and it slows down. And, and I'm having a conversation with myself at first to say, mm-hmm. what if I'm the only one who goes up there? It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's, I'm going to be the only one up there. Everyone's going to be looking at me and they're going to be wondering, oh, what's wrong with him? Why did he yeah. go up? You know, all these thoughts come into my head and all these thought, thoughts are not from a good place. Right. And I'm really questioning, like, do I go up? Do I go up? What are people going to think? What's going to happen? And that same voice says, is it about all of them or is it about me and you? Are we going to enter into a relationship now? Are we going to do this? You know, are we actually going to commit to each other, Josh? This is what God is saying in that moment. And it's powerful. And it's emotional. And I start tearing up and I look at my friend who's sitting next to me and he says, you have to go up, don't you? <laughs> I said, yeah, I have to go up. He's blocking my path. So yeah. I, mean, I had to get around him. So I go up there and, you know, I'm the only one who goes up. But in that moment, I could care less. I could care less if there were a hundred people up there with me or if I was the only one. Because in that moment, it wasn't about anyone else. It was about me and God and finally committing to having a relationship with him. Was this uh, was this decision probably one of the most... Uh, uh, was it a game changer in your life? I would say so. I was baptized shortly after that uh, for the second time. Okay. And it, it was... It was, it was life-changing. It was life-shattering because it was the moment when I finally said, I'm willing to commit to this relationship, God. And I think that is a, that's even more significant because it's one of the points when you realize that, first of all, you really can't do it on yourself, mm-hmm. by, on your own. But at the same time, God is there to strengthen you. Exactly. I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens yeah. me. And, you know, this is the thing. We've all had people who are important to us, who are supposed to be there to guide us, to protect us, to watch out for us, to value us, and they failed. We've we've all had that to a certain degree, yeah. whether it's a father, a mother, a wife, a husband, even children to a certain yeah. extent can do that to their parents, right? Yeah. Or a pastor or someone who's a mentor that we thought would protect us and they do something horrible and hurt us. And God understands that. You know, the religious order of the day, they should have been there to protect Christ. They should yeah. have been there to 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 show him to, to the world and say this is the Christ this is who we have to follow but instead they they betray him but we can go even further just take a look at Judas case yeah well, he was one, one of, of the his 12. closest friends yeah one of the people we had poured so much into right yeah and he still betrays him and when I think about this the, the concept of coming to terms with people failing you but that God never will I think of the story of one of Jacob's wives Leah mm. the one he didn't love right yeah. you know if you look at the way she names her sons 
it's it's heartbreaking you know yeah. she has the first son and his and she says now my husband will love me and you know let me stop you right there because i think as human beings we all suffer from rejection at one point of course and it's not limited to your experience you know with your father you know suffering re- rejection every now and then that's that's just part of human uh development but that is why i believe that in isaiah he says it says that Jesus was rejected. He yeah. suffered the he rejection. Suffered a, rejection uh, a worse rejection than any of us have ever suffered. Yeah. You know, getting back to Leah, because I think this is an amazing example of how we can let God heal us, yeah. right? First, the, she says, you know, now my husband will love me when she has her first child. And by the end, she says, now the daughters will know that I am blessed of God because Why? he has blessed me with another child. You know, it stops being about Jacob and how he doesn't love her and transforms into how God always has. And this is the key thing. No matter who's broken our heart, no matter who's hurt us, God never will.